As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello and welcome to Glad Tidings, the Athletics Everton Football Club podcast. The lads are all back together again. It's me, Greg O'Keefe, and I'm joined by my colleague and fellow Everton correspondent for the Athletic, Paddy Boyland. How are you getting on, Pad? Good. I'm all right, yeah. I was just, uh, after last time we were obviously joking about going to Burnley and how cold it was going to be north of the wall. I've finally, <laughs> I think, thawed out on the Thursday after that game and I've just about thawed out from the from the cold temperatures there. Just about thawed out as well from... What, what we had to witness in, in that game, um, which I'm sure we'll get on to in a bit. But no, I'm, I'm okay. I'm probably about as good as, as could be in the uh, in the circumstances. How about you? Not bad. Can I can I borrow your uh, your um, deer skin suit and, and torch and sword for uh, Goodison on a Saturday night? Because as much as uh, Burnley is ice station zero, Goodison can mix it with, with any yeah. of them when it comes to being an absolute ice pit um, and I suspect it's going to be just that tomorrow. So. Fans back though at least, eh? Fans, so fans really back exciting to have some fans back. I'm sure that'll raise the temperature a bit, yeah, definitely. Right, plenty to, to whiz through aside from the, uh, the temperature of Paddy and I in, tonight's, <laughs> in, in today's uh, podcast, including that Burnley game, um, you know, which we enjoyed and then endured again um, in terms of how we saw things change uh, tactically. Then we'll talk about a really interesting piece that is going to be on the site very soon that Paddy's done with Tom Wervel, one of our stat experts, talking about James Rodriguez and uh, what I'm sure uh, Paddy will agree is um, some rather unfair criticism in certain quarters for him. We'll look at the Chelsea game Saturday night, Goodison Park, under the lights, and talk about the piece that I've done as well on the site this week about Dennis the Strack, Strackwellesi. So before we get into that, let me remind you that right now, if you subscribe to Athletic, you can give another subscription as a gift for free. It's the perfect present for any footy fan this Christmas. Enjoy great analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as ad-free versions of all our podcasts. Wave goodbye to 2020. Yes, get out, go and say hello to 2021 by sharing the gift of the Athletics' unrivaled football coverage for the whole year. It really is the perfect present for yourself and someone else. And just go to theathletic.com forward slash Everton pod. That's theathletic.com forward slash Everton pod and sign up. 
So to Turf Moor, Burnley, a very icy paddy and uh, not much to warm the heart other perhaps than something reverting, you know, not, not through uh, any positive reasons, but reverting to four at the back. What did you make of it, mate? Yeah, kind of on that last point, bit more kind of luck than judgment, I felt, in the way things transpired. Mm, yeah. Very, very rare that a, an injury, particularly an injury to kind of a seasoned uh, squad member, actually helps the side improve and pick up. But that's exactly what happened, in my opinion. Fabian Delph obviously went off injured around the half an hour mark and was replaced by Andre Gomez. I was kind of scratching my head as that was happening. I was like, is Andre Gomez really going to play left wing back? doesn't strike me as his role. But he didn't. He, he kind of went into midfield and we saw a reversion to that 4-3-3. That served Everton pretty well, let's be honest, at the uh, at the start of the season. They just looked from that point on, from 30 minutes on, they just looked much, much better. And obviously it was far from perfect. They didn't win the game. They recovered from... Losing a goal early on, really sloppy mistake from Alan. Robbie Brady kind of driving home from the edge of the box and they recovered to get a point. Pushed, looking for that extra goal, that winner. And nearly got it, very, very nearly got it. But they um, yeah, they just, just came up short. Um, I think all we can say is that even after the game, Ancelotti and Michael Keane, who were on media duties, they both said that the squad is just more comfortable with four at the back. <laughs> in my head then I was kind of taking that a step on and thinking why is it taking so long yeah. to to realise this why have we moved away so much from the success of the, but the formation that brought success in the early part of the season Ducore and Allen just looked better with an extra man alongside them Richarlison started getting the ball a little bit quicker uh, helped by the fact that there's another midfield midfielder there in Gomez to shuttle the ball on I thought Alex Awobi and Ben Godfrey, who became makeshift full-backs rather than wing-backs, I thought they both did admirably, really, in the circumstances and um, helped shut Burnley out. And on another day, Everton would have come away with three points. They created more than enough chances to do so. Sigurdsson missing that one and and various other players. So, yeah, it's it's a tough one at the moment, I think, is almost in some cases whenever you put Twitter on after an Everton game at the moment whenever they don't win it almost feels like Groundhog Day but uh, maybe there are a few small shoots of recovery in the way that the system change helped bring more out of the players certain players looked better people like Gomez he looked better and on the on another day they could have won the game so, so yeah there is that I suppose yeah I mean <laughs> it is clinging to uh, to slim solace isn't it but I do think I just prefer to see Everton at the moment uh, in with with the back four with the extra body midfield um, and you know as much as Andre Gomez hasn't been anywhere near at uh, the levels that it required this season I think he was he was better on Saturday um, frustrating I think with Awobi you know there's been a lot of bright points lately but I just felt that uh, and we've chatted about it uh, internally in our place. I'm with one of our, one of our colleagues and yeah. about it this week. And we, I just felt that there was so many. He just lacks consistency with his final ball. Um, there were three, maybe four, crossing opportunities towards the end, and um, 
I think a couple of them just you know completely missed the mark. One one went into the stands, then the other was overhit, it, and it was just he wasn't. By, I'm not picking on him. He wasn't by any means the only one. You know, Gilfie Sigurdsson probably should have put that away, uh, albeit a good save from Nick Pope. But when you've got Dominic Calvert-Lewin and you've got players like Charlton busting into the box, the quality of the delivery from from Iwobi was poor, I felt. Um, and it was disappointing with the games that we've got to come away from there with just the point. It was, it was. And I, I think this was a big opportunity really for Everton to get back on track, particularly against the Burnley side that started the day. I think it was in 19th. Yeah. Gifting them a goal early on and helping them. That's it. I think that's it. I, I think it not only did we give them the goal, but because of that goal, you could see them visibly grow in confidence. And the talk in the press box at Turf Moor was that for those that watch Burnley week in, week out, that was one of their best performances of the season, if not the best. Now that's telling that striking. And it says something about where Everton are at this moment in time. I just I just feel with a woe and, and maybe I had a lot of people say how wasteful he was and comment on that after the game. And I wonder if there's a slight distinction to be made here between the perspective you get watching the, the game at home in front of the telly and the perspective you see at the match. Because I was speaking to, to Adam Jones from the Liverpool Echo and a few mm-hmm. other reporters that cover Everton after the game and we were all saying oh, Alex Awobi looked alright, he did, he did okay and the feedback from everybody that watched watched uh, on TV has been has been quite different it's been, uh, I've been struck by that and I guess what, the only thing I can point to here is that yes he was wasteful at times in the second half um, particularly as the game progressed past kind of 60 minutes, there were three or four opportunities to cross the ball and he wasn't even close to picking out a man there were other times when he was good. First half cross for Calvert-Lewin for, for a save by Pope. One in the second half that somebody I think should have got on the end of as well. Uh, but on the whole, let's say his delivery was a little bit erratic. What I could see from my vantage point, which is kind of a bird's eye, you're really high up in the in the press box, in the stands at, at Turf Moor. But what I could see from my position was the extent to which Everton's right back in particular effectively has the whole of a flank to cover because of mm. where James is on the <laughs> pitch. And I think yeah. that that's put an even more stark relief by just how high up you are and just how much of a bird's eye view it is. You almost see this guy, and it's quite it must be quite a daunting task, actually, with all, like 100 metres or so of space in which to manoeuvre and manage and run. And Iwobi was often at a numerical advantage defensively. He was the one, I think he was more or less the one tasked with picking up the ball and driving forward and getting Everton going through the, the thirds, particularly when the passing was sloppy, as it was early doors. And there were so many good, promising runs from him where he just put his head down, he just made his way past two or three, drew a foul or created something. Like, let, let's say, for example, in the first half with that chance for Calvert-Lewin. Then I'm, I, I think I am probably a little bit more lenient with regards to his performance there. Uh, even at right-back, I thought he did all right. I think that's fair enough. I think it's a good point about the, the difference between perspective of where you watch it as well um, I, I don't think it's an easy gig from it at all let's, let's not forget he's not you know he's never been really a full back as a you're a wing back no he's I mean he's, he's not and that's the other thing I guess that we should we should probably throw into the equation uh, first of all ask to play as a wing back and then secondly as a full back and I think as a full back you've got even more defensive responsibility but Burnley are never the side if there's one game you're going to 
you can play that way. Burnley are never a side, I don't think, that are going to massively stretch you in behind. The wingers aren't going to always double up and ask you loads of questions. But I thought most of his defensive work, he was all right, save for one or two moments. And most of his attacking work, he did pretty well, both driving with the ball and, and creating chances. So, yeah, I, I guess I was prepared to give him the benefits of the doubt. I was prepared to give him the benefits of the doubt in those circumstances. Same with Ben Godfrey on the other side, who mm. didn't have a much of a role going forward, but I thought he was solid enough, mm. again, being asked to play in a different position. And... Yeah, I I just think I've got to the point where I'm just looking for any 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 little kind of positive nugget that I can find anywhere here. They, those two were all right. Calvert Lewin obviously um, nabbed his goal again. The kind of goal that we've seen now three or four times this season. Yeah, yeah. It's where we like that goal, isn't it? It is. It's basically it's basically the goal that scored against Fulham. Um, off the top of my head, where Richarlison gets the byline, cuts it back, and Calvert Lewin slides and and puts it in. We've seen it a number of times, and those two have got a really good relationship when they when they get in those areas. So I think we've just got to see more of it from an Everton perspective. They've got to be more assured in possession, better with their final delivery, service, particularly Richarlison, a little bit more. Because at times I thought he was just a little bit isolated out on that left flank. But the one big takeaway, and I think we've both said this, is just the extent to which they improved with four at the back with everybody being more comfortable and knowing their roles. I just think if there's one message for Ancelotti to take here, it's that those players are better suited to that style at the moment. They're more used to it. And when you've got a tricky run of fixtures coming up against Chelsea and Leicester and Arsenal and Manchester City, Sheffield United, various other sides, you're going to need to rely on those things because the margins are going to be so tight if you want to get anything in your favour. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, we'll come on to Chelsea in a minute, but we will pick up on a theme that you mentioned there. Um, James or James Rodriguez, uh, you know, the, <laughs> there's there's a two sort of dual kind of warring observations about Rodriguez. It's people who, who have begun to doubt his efficacy as the sort of days have grown shorter and the temperature's dropped and Everton's form has completely faltered. Uh, then there's the sort of renter gobs like uh, Gabby Bongahor. <laughs> um, and then there's Evertonians who, you know, for him he can do no wrong. And that, as usual, I think the truth's not quite in the middle because it's not that close to uh, Bongahor, in my opinion. Mm. But uh, I still think most of the good stuff comes through. That's my opinion. Um, I do know that you've had a real, like I said at the top of the show, you've had a look into it with Tom. What, has he been unfairly maligned? What, what are the stats telling us? I think that people look at things like the fact he's not set up a goal or scored a goal since the Merseyside derby a couple of months ago. And I think they used that together with Everton's form as a stick with which to beat him. The only problem is when you're using things like assist numbers, what you're not taking into account is how many chances he's actually creating, how good the opportunities are, and whether, for example, somebody is squandering those chances. So take the Burnley game, for example. Late on in that game, we, we've already mentioned Sigurdsson has a golden opportunity. I think he should probably score, truth be told. Place at either side of Nick Pope, and it's a it's a goal. It's in the back of the net, and Everton yep. win that game 2-1. No other player on the pitch sees that pass. That's my opinion. No other player sees that pass. No other p- player executes it like Rodriguez. Well, yeah, that's does. the point as well, isn't it? Yeah, which is which is the point. So on another day, that's his assist, and because Sigurdsson hasn't scored it, that run kind of ticks on now. 
And I, I, I just think that's that, that's a little bit unfair. And that's not an isolated instance. You look at the game against Leeds. Mason Holgate has a good chance from a Rodriguez free kick. Uh, Richarlison scores, but it's disallowed from a Rodriguez corner. Uh, Rodriguez has the ball in the net himself. Marginally offside, but he is offside. And I just think those things have not really gone in his favour recently. But he's still actually, in terms of like the bare underlying numbers, he's still actually performing at much the same rate. If if there was a drop-off, and I can chart one, then the drop-off, statistically at least, was after the Merseyside derby in the games against Southampton and Manchester United, where, do you, do you remember, he picked up the injury against Liverpool, the hematoma, as, as Angelotti keeps calling it, after that um, late tackle from Virgil van Dijk. <laughs> yeah. And... Um, wasn't really 100% fit for Southampton. And I don't think he was 100% fit for the Manchester United game either. And kind of struggled in both of those matches. And his numbers there did fall off a cliff. Um, Objectively, that's what you can say. Um, Stuff over it being too cold for him and his body language and all that kind of stuff. I don't really read much into them. Um, Burnley's cold, but I tell you what, has anybody ever been to Munich in in, Dece- in December or January, <laughs> where he, he obviously played at Bayern Munich? I used to live in Madrid, so I know how cold Madrid can be in the winter as well. And obviously, he played for Real Madrid, so stuff like that. I think that they're just kind of really basic, unnecessary points, and almost kind of cliches and stereotypes that we shouldn't really get into. Massive generalizations. So, what's he done on the pitch? Has it helped Everton? And are Everton a better side with him there dictating play? And I think in, in most cases they are. Most cases he's the one that's showcasing that bit of quality. It wasn't much quality against Leeds, but there were a couple of moments there that I described. wasn't much quality against Burnley. He should have set up the winner. There's also a shot that Nick Pope turns around the post from the edge of the box, which would have been an absolutely belting goal. Yeah, I just, I just think his, the underlying numbers are good. It's just going to be people taking it on themselves to convert those chances, or it falls to say a Calvert Lewin instead of a Sigurdsson. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I think maybe he's, he's kind of ebbed and flowed a little bit because of fitness and because of the side and not having a platform. But if you ask me, and I'll ask you the same question: if you ask me, are Everton a better better team with James Rodriguez in the side for all his defensive foibles? I would say yes. What, what, what would you say? <laughs> Undoubtedly, yes. Um, I just think it's compounded by not having Seamus Coleman, a, a fit Seamus Coleman in the team as well, with his experience of knowing when to, just how to, to manage on that right side defensively. Um, and, uh, you know, it is difficult. You know, teams can obviously identify when they've got the ball or in the transition can identify a lot of space in behind him. Um, and... Do feel as if he was perhaps looked more inclined in the early days to track back, but you just don't know whether or not Carl Ancelotti's look at it and saying, "Look, we don't necessarily always want you tracking back." You know, we can maybe he's got a system, however effective or not, to to deal with it. With you know, his his three in midfield or his his midfielders. Yeah. Uh, and it's not as it's not perfect, obviously, and ideally you do have you know your, your right side player. Doubling up, if you like, or at least you know coming <laughs> coming back into his own half. But is that where you really want Hamas Rodriguez? I'd, I'd say not. So um, 
I look forward to reading that properly and, and um, I think that'll be really, really good. And if anything, just, you know, it just needs a, a goal, I think. And then a bit like Richarlison and then I think he'll get into a get into his stride more consistently. But that through ball, you're right, was the execution of it was fantastic. It's just such a shame it didn't get us the winner. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So Chelsea's going to be a tough game, isn't it? But, you know, if any if any game, almost conversely, back with the fans, under the lights, in the winter, um, we've had historically, we've had a bit of success against Chelsea at Goodison Park. Um, you know, it, it's tended to be, as Adonis, our, our, our producer, was reminding us, you know, it was, uh, for example, a game when Everton won and Ancelotti got the sack in the tunnel. Mm-hmm. Um, we've, we've had big results against them. Um, and I know our, some of our team uh, uh, cover Chelsea, uh, let's say, very aware of Everton's. I wouldn't say it's a, a voodoo or hoax over them, but we give as good as we get. If not, at Stamford Bridge, yeah, certainly. Um, do you think, difficult, but do you think that he'll make many changes? Do you think he will go with a flat back four? More sort of square, it's going to have to be square pegs and round holes, isn't it? With, with sort of, you know, if Delph isn't fit. We'll hear about that tomorrow. Um, and Kunku seemingly isn't in the equation. I would almost automatically write Fabian Delph off for... Um, <laughs> what, in general? For, for, for Saturday, not in general. <laughs> Although I'm sure some, some people would as well. Um, they'd go that far. Um, I just, given his problems with injury, it would be a huge surprise to me if he's able to return from a hamstring complaint in less than a week. I just I, that doesn't seem feasible to me. You asked if we could see a move to four three three or a flat back four of some kind. We should see that. That's what we should see if, if Ancelotti follows the evidence of the Burnley game. And it doesn't necessarily have to be square pegs in round holes either. I mean, he he might want to keep faith with Alex Awobi, but you've got in John Joe Kenny and Niels and Kunku two players. That are specialist right back and right back and left backs. Um, so the option is there for Ancelotti. You could also, I guess, you could see a Mason Holgate or a Ben Godfrey play slightly out of position as as a fullback. So the, there are a few options there. They're not great options, it must be said. It's not Luca Dean, but um, there are a few options. And of course, they're also monitoring Seamus Coleman's fitness as well. He's yeah. been training individually, trying to step things up. Yeah. with a view to potentially featuring on Saturday. Let's see if it's a game too far or not. Um, I, I hope he's back because I think obviously it'd be, it'd be a big boost for Everton to have one of their two first-choice fullbacks there. You probably look to shore up that midfield as well instead of having three at the back and firefighting on the edge of your own box. That third man could maybe just clog things up a little bit, higher up the pitch, give Chelsea more difficulty in supplying the strikers um, and avoiding a situation where you might have, for example, Timo Werner on the left running one-on-one at Alex Awobi, um, which is probably the stuff of nightmares right now <laughs> for, 
from from an Everton perspective, it's funny that the, the the Chelsea guys, like you say, aren't quite as confident as you would expect them to be for this one, and that, that that's in part because of Goodison Park and its symbolism. Let's not forget that the last time Everton played Chelsea, Duncan Ferguson was in the in the dugout and kind of roaring away, beating his chest metaphorically on the um, on the sidelines. The crowd was fully behind him, yes. and Goodison is a really difficult place to play on those days, particularly for opposition sides. We don't quite have that this time, although it's good that fans will be back to some extent. But I, I, I'm trying not to be too negative here, and I, I, I will try, but I can't promise much. I just, I, I don't feel like this is a good matchup for Everton because they've just got so much energy that Chelsea side, um, particularly if they go slightly more fluid up front. And where I think Yerry Mina and Michael Keane excel against a side like Burnley, where the threat is all in front of them, where it's crosses into the box and long diagonals and they can make use of their own aerial ability. I think against the quicker, trickier, slippier attackers, mm. they may be exposed a little bit for that lack of pace, they, the, the lack of recovery option. So mm. again, does does Ancelotti maybe go for a Holgate or a Godfrey in the centre? Probably would say let Michael Keane. Given you know his, what? I think his, that's a really good form. shout. I think that's a good shout. I think... Either or and Keane is a good option because if you play Mina and Keane, I think Keane isn't the slowest in the world, but he needs a bit of he needs a, a few yards to, to get his you know to get going if you like if that makes sense. I think yeah. if you play those two, you're horribly exposed against the pace as you were saying. You, you could be and, and again Chelsea might play Olivier Giroud up front and that gives Everton an aerial threat. But what I'm saying is that even to the side of him. You can have players like Timo Werner buzzing around, not necessarily staying in those conventional positions, but just kind of playing in space and interchanging. That's a difficult task for Keane and and Mina. We saw it exposed against Fulham even when they played in the back three. They weren't able to compensate um, in transition. So that's an area I'd look at. Um, Mason Mount's another one. N'Golo Kante can drive forward from midfield. So I'd almost be looking to cut them off at source, and I'd be looking to play a quicker centre back, even if they, even if Shiro is likely to start. So, yeah, it's, I think it's a daunting task. Obviously, Chelsea head into the game in fantastic form. They've got, I think, now one of the bonuses for them this season is that they have effectively two starting lineups that they can rotate throughout the campaign. I think this yeah, is the do. season, yeah. as we've said before, this is the season where you need your squad depth to tell to pay and pay dividends because the games are so quick. I think, of Everton, have we got five in five in 17 days? Well, you can't You can't play, you, your first 11 cannot play five games in 17 days. That's, that's practically impossible um, from a f- physical perspective. Um, so the fact that Chelsea can take off Christian Pulisic and bring on Callum Hudson-Odoi, it kind of is a massive boost for them so it's a tough game it's a really tough game it's not the game you would want even at Goodison to get back on track all Everton can do is stick to what they do well and that's 4-3-3 getting quick ball out to Richarlison getting crosses into the box for Calvert-Lewin making sure that Hammers gets the ball as much as possible in advanced positions and doing the defensive basics well you've got Alan and Ducore hopefully to, to, to mop up Probably, if you go three in midfield, you you pick Andre Gomez. You probably probably go for him, don't you? After the, 
after last weekend. He's there, obviously, to to provide a bit of something on the ball. So this, yeah, it's it's a t- it's a tough task. <laughs> it's going to be a difficult one. Um, the only the only other thing to add here is how great it is to have some supporters, even if it's only yeah. two thousand or so, yeah, just absolutely. under back at Goodison for this game. It feels like even just on a local level, that's tangible progress, and it's going to be great. I mean, you're going, aren't you? So I'm, I'm sure that's something you must be looking forward to. Yeah, I am absolutely. Um, as I say, I've, I like games of Goodison against Chelsea, uh, for better or <laughs> better or worse. Maybe sometimes uh, it's always an occasion, um, and it'll just be a lovely little step back towards um, semblance of normality to have some fans there. Just look, because it's been so unnatural to be there without fans, as we both um, as we both said during this uh, this this year. Um, so yeah, it'll be great. I do think. Um, you know, when you underline the the difference in terms of squad depth, drills home the point that Everton haven't got what we hoped they might have in terms of depth uh, for a team that they had aspirations or have aspirations of top six, top seven. So we're just going to have to be. <laughs> I mean, I think Angelotti's going to have to, you know, sort of be a bit more flexible over the younger players, for example, Kunku and and Gordon in games. Yeah. And um, you know, we're just going to have to hope that. Something special happens on Saturday that really fires the squad and gets them into that mentality of starting games quickly, keeping the ball. You know, you, you spoke about that at Burnley again. They started a little slowly um, in terms of sloppy passing. It needs to be they need to be on it and to come out of this mini malaise. Um, and sometimes it just seems to happen around this time of year, doesn't it? Whether it was David Moyes or. You know, hopefully, in in terms of Ancelotti with Duncan Ferguson, like you say, there on the touchline. Let's see, let's see. But I look forward to being there. Um, do you think a European finish? It, it's very early, reasonably early in the season, so no one's going to say any cut and dry predictions by far just yet. But as we head towards the January window, do you think a European finish is still a realistic prospect? It is. It is. If they can pick themselves up, it's still. I don't know if I'd use the phrase realistic prospect, um, mm. but it's still a target. Then I should say, a yeah, it's, it's still a realistic target. I mean, you, you look at how saturated the table is this season. Very few points separate kind of second down to to, to mid table even. And Everton are obviously in that mid table bunch. If you get one win or two wins, you propel yourself up that table, and you come back in the conversation not only for Europa League positions but also Champions League positions whether Everton are able to do that to get that consistency without players like Dean obviously remains to be seen I've got my I've got my concerns heading into this busy run where the the squad depth will be tested um that uh, that uh, yeah it's tough it's tough on the, on the face of it if they can somehow get through to January and they can pick up a few wins here or there and they're still in the conversation then you never know because at some point Luca Dean will come back and at some point Ancelotti and Brands will look to the January window and they might have a look and see what they can do um, and um, if he's backed then we know that Ancelotti can make quality improvements to this side so um, yeah it's, it's realistic at the moment it's target at the moment um, are they playing well enough to finish in, in Europe as it stands no um, far from it actually I think they look like a, a standard 
mid-table, lower mid-table side at this moment in time, slugging it out with sides like Burnley, like as we saw on Saturday. Um, and I think Burnley will be in trouble themselves this year, actually. Um, but they're, they're not too far away from if they get back to the kind of style they were playing earlier this season, the kind of system, maximising the potential of people like Richarlison and Calvert-Lewin. There are some concerted strengths in this side that we have to remember as well. There, there, are, game, there, are, there are games where if you keep things tight, mm. Richarlison, James and Calvert-Lewin will win you matches more or less single-handedly. So um, I think that's got to be the aim. They've got to shore up that defence. They've got to... I think Ancelotti's got to look a little bit more to some of the guys on the fringes, Gordon and, and Kunku. Um, even potentially just off the bench in Gordon's case, just give him 20 minutes if you're 1-0 yeah. down or, or you're away at a side mm. that you should be beating. Give him 20 minutes to go and see if he can create something. It only takes him to come inside on his right foot and bend one into the top corner. and He's won you the game then, hasn't he? And, and just in that very quick... Absolutely. That's what, that's what I hope to see. Um, it's funny, isn't it? We, I mean, talking about all these games against Chelsea, you've got Ancelotti getting sacked. I think it was after J- Jermaine Beckford scored that amazing solo goal where he just kept on running and running and running. Um, so he, Ancelotti gets sacked after that game. Everton obviously won. Um, 1-0, I think it was. We've spoken about the Duncan Ferguson match, which was a Herculean effort from him and from the players. I was thinking before we started recording of Lukaku scoring twice in yes. the, was it the yeah. FA Cup quarter-final? That was a night game at Goodison. I think it was a half-five, and the atmosphere was just absolutely electric. Obviously, Rom was fantastic. So there are there are notable games against Chelsea. But one of the other games I wanted to bring up with you, given that you've written a piece on this guy over the, um, over the course of this week on the site, is the match Everton played against Chelsea, in which... Dennis Strakwalasi scored the goal and then kind of, I think he sunk to his knees, didn't he, after beating Petacek, maybe in a bit of surprise that he'd beaten Petacek. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, before we maybe go on to discuss that game and, and some of his memorable moments, what, what are your memories of him? This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Yeah, struck attack. My memories of trying to <laughs> Google his name and, and sitting there at my, my laptop in in the the local paper at the time and just trying to get his, how to spell that same into my head once I'd figured out who he was. <laughs> he certainly yeah. wasn't one that was on many people in Europe's radar. Uh, classic bit of David Moyes business, I think. Um, late in the market. It was always late in the market, wasn't it? Always a touch of desperation about it. Could never get probably any of the targets he wanted. We'd lost Ikubu and uh, and Beckford, who'd obviously scored the goal against Chelsea that you, that you talk about there, the, the preceding last day of the season um, and we just needed 
extra firepower. You know, he was never going to be sort of necessarily the the main man, but we certainly needed extra extra firepower. And uh, there'd been attempts to by people representing him to try and get him into Everton earlier. And that summer, Everton weren't interested. Robbie Cook, Tony Henry, the chief scout at the time, just <laughs> just knocked back the agents. And then it got to the last day, and uh, lo and behold, Everton. Uh, Everton demurred, and he was uh, he was an Everton player, albeit on loan. I just he was just one of those players. He didn't look in any way a player sometimes, but uh, and I've seen you know some players though just by virtue of the the personality, the the way they engage with fans, and with him that, but then sheer determination and effort and perspiration and commitment to the shirt. They can win sections of fans over, for better or worse, because I know a lot of people say, well, you know, you should demand more than that. You know, it should be a given. Yeah, but there's work rate and there's work rate. He did not stop grafting any, every minute. It was minute force of will, really, wasn't it? I think it was force <laughs> of will. He didn't always have the kind of the technical abilities, but yeah. he proved to the supporters very early on that it meant something to be at Everton Football Club, that he was going to give his all. I mean, for some sets of supporters, they might look and raise an eyebrow when players fall to the turf and start crying after they've scored the first goal like Strachulersi did against Fulham if I remember That's right. That's right in the FA Cup. But for Everton fans I think there was a sense of connection there and he, he did score some important goals and he did lead, lead the line well at times and like I say I think that was force of force of will as much as anything. Cast your mind back to that window though the final day of the window though and Everton lost Arteta mm. and they lost Yakubu earlier and they lost Beckford as you say and they bring in Dennis Strakulasi who none of us had heard of and also Royston Drenter on loan I just remember thinking what on earth have they done here they've completely messed this up but they hadn't had they they they, they went on in the end to have a I mean a, a pretty good season not a fantastic season but they went on to have kind of a pretty good season around the same kind of finish that they would normally have Strakulasi obviously endeared himself to, to supporters, Drenthe less so, and particularly not to David Moyes. Um, but you, for the piece, you spoke to a lot of people that played with Strakulasi, a lot of people that were close to him during his time on Merseyside. What kind of things were they saying? There was just universal goodwill towards him. Um, you know, there was just this this attitude that he had that to make the most of the opportunity he'd been given um, and you know by hook or by crook even really when he had no right to sort of be there um, in terms of a technical ability I suppose he had the right to be there of course but you know sharing a pitch with, you know, with some of the players at the time like Pinar and Heisinger who would go on to World Cup finals and he, he just seemed to be deliriously happy to be at Everton and to be playing football for, for the Blues and, and I think that translates um, and you know when he was in the team he did did some things well in terms of the, one of the coaches I spoke to uh, was talking about how by virtue of his his sheer effort leading the line it would create space and opportunities for others uh, he would chase anything and everything all day and sometimes someone like that even if they're not the best technically just a pain for defenders and then I'd remember that goal, as you say, you know, he kind of, the Chelsea goal, it's it's a terrific challenge by Phil Neville, by the way. If you go on YouTube and look at that, Phil Neville even had his detractors at Everton and, you know, people talk about Strackwell-Lairs not being the best technically. It was something, albeit a different, uh, in a different sense, levelled at Neville at times, but 
goodness me, he could change a game sometimes. And he puts in this amazing tackle on Ashley Cole, which should probably be a straight red now. The ball breaks and Everton launched this counter-attack. Um, Landon Donovan, who was flying at the time, slips in a little through ball between two defenders. And there's the strike and he, he hits it with his right foot. And it's not the cleanest hit, but it must have had some strength on it because even Peter Cech, who was sort of renowned, strong command and presence, gets a hand to it but can't keep it out. And it's as if Strakulis is watching it for a split second, see it's gone in, and then he just runs. And he's just ecstatic in front of the Gladys Street. Uh, I think a lot of his goals, maybe even all of his goals were in front, well, all three <laughs> were in front of the Gladys Street. And um, that always helps for a striker, doesn't it, Everton? And uh, David Moyes on the touchline, jumping up and down. And, you know, you can't forget what, what result that was, really, in many ways. I mean, Chelsea would go on to be the FA Cup winners that season, which is brilliant against Liverpool. <laughs> um, uh, they'd win the Champions League that season, bizarrely, in different circumstances, of course. They'd finish ju- only just above us, actually, uh, sixth, albeit a few more points. There were 64. We ended up finishing seventh on 56. But wouldn't you take that this season if we could somehow conjure another, maybe not as against the odds, but another sort of morale-boosting win on Saturday? Yeah, well, I just I just think that once everybody is fit in this Everton side and you have Luca Dean at left-back and Seamus Coleman at right-back, a settled central defensive partnership, Alan and Ducore in the middle, Richarlison, Calvert-Lewin, and Hamez up front, I still think that's not far away from being a side that can compete at that level. The problem is what happens if one of the key men, and at the moment that's Luca Dean, picks up a big injury and is out for any length of time. It's there where the squad depth pays, like we're saying, and they're in a little bit of a rut right now. Maybe things aren't quite going the way. What happens if, for example, Ducore scores early on against Leeds or Sigurdsson scores late on against Burnley? Maybe the tide just changes slightly, and sometimes it only takes one game one win. Last season, I think that game, even though it wasn't a great season by any stretch of the imagination, last season was was in a really dodgy place until that win for Ferguson against Chelsea in December, around the same time of the year, actually, um, in a curious sense. And Everton are not quite in that position now, but they need something. So it might only take one it might only take one game for this side to just pick up and just get that bit of form and just just kind of crank up a, a gear or two like we know they are capable of doing. So, yeah, fingers fingers crossed. Um, I'll be envious of your um, seat in the uh, in the main stand press box while you uh, while you cover that one on on Saturday. And, and here's to hopefully to three points. Yeah, let's let's hope so. Well, thank you very much for that, Pad, and thank you to you for listening. Don't forget, you can subscribe to Athletic and give another subscription as a gift for free. Um, it's the perfect present for, for any of your football fan, family or friends. Just go with you, well, you know where to go, theathletic.com forward slash Everton pod. We will be back next week. In the meantime, whether it's with the Strack or not, let's hope someone does the business and finds a winner against Chelsea. See you next time. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub. 
an official partner of The Athletic.